Um, thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you for the love and for the perfect setup for a great sermon. Um, we are going to start reading scripture, which is always the best part. Uh, I'm going to read it to you twice. And since we can cuss, um, I'm going to make it really understandable. This uh, whole story, we all heard at this point, oh, and it's fixed, Jarrell Wilson's right. Uh, we've all heard the story, Jesus comes in waving, there's palm branches, like the whole crowd. Um, and my whole life, I grew up with a certain understanding of this text. And so this morning it changed for me when I was reviewing. So now our whole sermon is different. So I'm gonna read it to you like it says it in English, and then I'm going to read it to you in today's English. So let's listen to the word of God, Luke chapter 19. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he came near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, where are you, or why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent departed and they found it as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. And then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. And he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all of the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, quote, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And some of the Pharisees or religious leaders in the crowd said to him, teacher, order your disciples to stop. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Mm. Oh, I love the Bible. <laughs> so let's reread this. Because like when I was growing up, the image that came to mind is like Jesus is coming through the city gates. All of the people are coming out their houses. They're throwing cloaks on the street. There's palm branches everywhere. And um, that's not what the Bible just said. So I'm gonna read it in American English and we'll see how it sounds different than the vision that was portrayed for me for my entire life until this morning. Um, after he had said this, he, Jesus, was going towards Jerusalem. He was on his way there and he came near a small town, two small towns near his way to Jerusalem at a place called the Mount of Olives. Now he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you, not necessarily Bethany or Bethphage, but a city village that's ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Pause. This is important. This is a colt that has never been ridden. That means it's violent. That means it's aggressive. And that kind of means it's worthless right now. Um, this is important to the story. <clears throat> Unpause. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, just say this, the Lord needs it. The Lord in English is the Lord to us. That means Jesus, that means God. But the Lord at that time, when they're living under the Roman empire, 
could mean Caesar. It could mean the King Herod. It could mean Pontius Pilate wants it. It could be anybody. So this is also very important. Um, as they were entiring it, they said the Lord has need of it. And when they brought it to Jesus, they threw their cloaks on the cult and they set it on Jesus. Their cloaks are really important. You need a cloak to stay safe from the elements. They gave up their protection for Jesus. And then other people started to do that. And they put it on the ground in front of the untamed cult that Jesus was riding on that he might have taken from somebody under uh, somewhat suspicious or mischievous uh, means. And as they rode along, people kept doing this. Now it says a multitude of the disciples began praising God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen. A multitude for me implies a very large crowd, but it says a multitude of the disciples. How many disciples did Jesus have? See, these are important things to point out. And as they're saying this, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the religious leaders in the crowd, the crowd is made up of disciples. Those Pharisees were disciples of Jesus. And they said, teacher, rabbi, please order your disciples to stop this. And he answered, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jesus is incredibly sassy here. And he answers, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout. Um, to put this in a, like a modern American context, Jesus is a rising professor and he has yet to receive tenure. And the students in his class just got real excited. And they are throwing MacBooks around and saying, this is the best teacher we've ever had. And some of the teachers who are real experts at what they do, the RAs, they have a little bit more experience. They've seen other things. They're a little bit apprehensive of what's going on. And they say, teacher, like this is a classroom. What are you doing? Tell these people to stop. We're on our way to the big city. Like we can't afford um, a, a college riot after we've won the World Series, like the World Series, March Madness. Like we need you to calm this down. And Jesus says to them, even if these students stop throwing MacBooks, the textbooks will start shouting. Um, and that's the end of the passage. <laughs> I love Jesus Christ. You can't get quality humor like this in antiquity, like uh, <laughs> this is quality stuff. First century AD stand-up. Jesus has it. Um, I think it's really important to um, understand that the Lord of all creation has a sense of humor. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. That was the end of the second reading. This is the word of God for the people of God. <laughs> Thanks be to God. So in Reviewing this text, like this impression was really important because it makes it seem like thinking that Jesus was going into a political, like this is the, his friends and his close personal. These are moments that he's sharing with his community. And it's an extemporaneous moment of joy. And that alone creates a different dynamic for Palm Sunday in my reading of it. Um, and I hope it does for you too. So I'm gonna read some other comparisons that I've made to this, cause this is really a great story. And there's so much goodness in here. 
that we could apply to our everyday life situations, which we will because we're on a theological journey. Um, everyone here was already kind of signed on to what Jesus was doing, but Jesus was now moving in a different direction. To put this in a new way, Jesus was sitting in a new pew. Jesus was a little girl demanding juicy bread without having been confirmed. And now that's a problem. It's funny to the people around because this is something that we don't expect, but it's something that we might maybe should consider. Jesus was like moving from a district court to a Supreme Court. So that kind of changes the calculation of the people around him. He was moving from Ur to Canaan, like Abraham did. That's a different life. You're now in a new environment. You're at a new school. You have new friends now. This is an, a different place. He was leaving Destiny's Child and he was going solo. He's still Beyonce. He can still do the runs, but now he might want to make an entire visual album exploring the legacy of slavery in the American South and title it Lemonade, making lemons into lemonade and watch it get beat by carpool karaoke for outstanding uh, contributions to television. But uh, Jesus was saying farewell to Rob Bell when Rob Bell said that hell might not exist. He was crossing the Rubicon he was transforming from love the sinner, hate the sin to I love this queer person and delight in the beauty of queerness that God gave them. He was getting too loud, too urban, too rowdy, too arrogant, and dare I say, really sassy. Um, he had been real nice before. People were asking him all sorts of shady questions and he entertained them. And now Jesus is he's doing a victory lap and his friends are hyping him up as he gets ready to perform at Madison Square Garden, sold out crowd for the seventh night in a row. Like this is a moment in time. And I was painted a picture that the Pharisees in that crowd were antagonistic to what Jesus was doing. And even if we're like, oh, they, like, they, they were antagonizing, but they're still good people. Like, it paints a different picture. They were just somewhat taken aback. And that makes me feel compassion for people that I was raised to dislike. That makes me understand them. Like as a person who is a religious leader and has an education, if I see a newly popular person that's been around for three years and they're like claiming to be the son of God, I'm gonna show up and ask some questions. Uh, let me check a resume, please. Uh, where are your references? Uh, can we do a background check? Uh, <laughs> who's your therapist? That's the questions I need to know. Um, and that's reasonable, that's normal. And Jesus' sassy response is also reasonable and normal and fun to me. And this really just makes the Bible as a whole more enjoyable as a source for which to guide my life. Because sometimes being sassy and snarky is needed. Sometimes sitting with someone for hours and explaining really difficult concepts is what's needed. Sometimes sitting alone in a lunchroom is what's needed. Sometimes asking your teacher for help because you'd feel left out 
is what's needed. And sometimes being quiet is what's needed. Like quiet is a real powerful tool. Um, if used in the right hands. Um, and like continuing to expand my references of pop culture. In The Lord of the Rings, um, Gandalf tells us that even death is but the next great adventure to the well-organized mind. That's um, like anything, anything that we might face. If we are in our community and we are prepared and we're willing to challenge and we're willing to be open to hear and we're willing to walk alongside other, other people and be vulnerable, there is always a chance that a lemon could become lemonade. And that even we might recognize that lemons aren't as sour as we thought they were. Like we could find all sorts of stuff. Apples don't taste the same today as they tasted 200 years ago. And that was deliberate. Humans work together and they change something um, for better or for worse. Um, this is a moment. It is also a time of trial. Weaving. Jesus is living in an empire where he is an ethnic minority that is homeless and is claiming authority and leadership in the world. That is an interesting place to be. And the people in his life, even the people in his hometown, have already attempted to kill him. Jesus is living in a time of trial. And there are multiple things I love about the way that we illustrate Jesus in this time of trial. He still takes naps when he gets tired. He goes to the bottom of the boat and falls asleep. He goes to the mountains and looks at the beauty and prays. And he still takes time to take care of himself and to make sure his disciples do the same thing. When you visit a town, make sure you eat food here. Make sure, even if you're hungry and you're walking through the field, take off a piece of wheat and eat some to keep you fueled for the journey. Jesus still made sure to care not only about the spiritual well-being of people, but their physical and emotional and mental well-being. And then sometimes he cracked jokes on them and walked away. Well, rode away on an untrained colt. Like, Jesus is a character. And a character we, as Christians, look up to. That is a character that is useful to the human experience. Someone who knows to take a rest and work hard. Someone who knows to laugh and play and knows how to weep. And someone who knows to sit with people when they're going through hard times and good times. He can talk to the authorities and he can talk to the people that are criminals. He is a useful savior in a time that is difficult. And not only is his own community somewhat dangerous, is there an empire that's somewhat dangerous? It, like even in the crowd of people that are his disciples, there are still times where he is not safe. And one of them betrays him. Jesus still finds time to love that person at that moment and give them an opportunity to repent and change their ways. Um, in a different universe, Judas Iscariot said, oh my goodness, I've been robbing Jesus. I need to stop. In a different universe, there was an opportunity for him to do something different. And how would that have changed the story of Christianity? The world may never know. Um, but isn't that something to think about? Jesus set up an opportunity to radically change Christianity for one person.
that should both give us pause and give us joy. Because that means we might have to stop this train, this Jesus, two billion Christians in the world train for one person. Because Jesus would do that. And we're all called to do that too. And that should give us joy. That no one is so disposable that we can afford to leave them when we're on this journey. Hmm. And I find when I think about how we change the culture of our Christian faith, so much of what we believe about God does not exist in the Bible. So much of what we believe about God, we will never find written down. How we experience the divine will never be explained. Science is never going to be able to fully explain love to humanity. I don't believe it will ever be possible. And rather than make me afraid, what that makes me is joyful. Because that means that they can't ever stop the definition or stop the expansion or the ability for it to hold more and to be enough for everybody. It is never going to become a finite resource. And the love of God being in an able to be explained, especially the love of God that's shown between two people, unconditional love. Like we can explain conditions. They did that so they could get this. That's easy. They did that simply because that other person exists and they felt that other person needed this to exist in a better way. So they gave freely. And we can't explain like the synopsis, maybe it made them a little bit more joyful, but you can get joy being selfish too. You can get joy, like you, there's, there's really no way to make it tangible. In that same way, our faith cannot be contained. Our, like we can still keep growing and even the way that we read, if we never add another book to the Bible, if we never touch it, the way we read it, when you encounter somebody new, it changes the way you read. So like I've never grown up on a farm, but I've met a farmer. So an untamed cult now makes more sense to me as a reader of the Bible than an untamed cult made to me as a 12 year old. And I expect as I continue to meet new people and talk to them and hear about their life, that the Bible will get more and more deep for me. And it will expand my capacity to love my neighbor as myself. And I don't just expect it, I demand it. This is what I demand of the Christian faith, that I have the ground to make as much space as I can possibly make to bring as many human beings as I possibly can into the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't necessarily mean 
I have to convert people to Christianity. I can love somebody and show them God's love without them ever becoming a believer in God or any faith or you can find a way to speak someone's language. You can find a way to sit at someone's table or invite them to your table. If they can't sit at a table, you can lay on the ground with them. There is always, always, always a way to expand your capacity to share God's love. And that is a reason for joy, even in times of trial. That is a reason, even if you don't have a job, there is someone else in the world looking for a way to share God's love. Even if you don't know how that bill is going to get paid, someone somewhere is getting ready to answer prayer. And we believe that God's Holy Spirit is still moving and alive and pushing us in a direction where mercy and peace and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control are going to be the standard and the norm for everyone. Whether they are Christian or Jewish or Muslim or agnostic, we as a society, if we lean into these values, can make this a reality. That is Christian hope. That is the basis for joy. And that is also the tangent that came to me this morning. But I'm going to finish this up in the process because I am also very methodical as a person who converted to Methodism. Joy is not just like an emotion or an ideal. Joy is like... It's like a plant, it's like a garden, like Matthew said. And therefore, joy requires cultivation. It means you need to care for it. Gardens, good gardens anyway, require nutrients. You need to put something in that soil to make sure those plants grow beautiful every year. You get to, you don't have to, you get to prune those plants you get to make sure that, oh, it's growing in the wrong direction. We're just going to redirect this way. you got to make sure that the squirrels are going to try and mess up your joy. They're going to come in that garden, the foxes, the hounds. You have to protect that joy. You have to make sure that that joy is being fed. So, yeah. Mm, ooh, this is a message. Uh, <laughs> you, look, joy is something that can grow inside of you. And just like Jesus said, faith is a mustard seed. And that mustard seed, when it's planted, will grow into a tree. And in that tree, birds of the air and beasts of the earth will seek refuge. Um, your joy can be that for the people in your community. If you tend to your garden, gardens can feed people. Gardens can bring peace. Gardens are places where people propose. You, gardens are where people take their babies. You can cultivate a garden of joy in your life by regularly building community. Joy comes from connection. And um, mm -hmm, yeah, this is a story. This is something you should take. How do I cultivate the joy in my life? 
because as we said earlier, we have to work out our own faith, work out our own joy. And so you need to find out what is it that makes me joyful? Um, some people holding a baby brings them joy and some people that brings them terror. So if you want to cultivate joy, don't hold that baby. Um, if it, holding a baby brings you terror, um, you can give them a baby blanket and be just as joyful. Uh, find the thing that brings you joy. Find, you might not like a dog, get you a cute little cat. Like find something and then share that with the community. I'm all, you may not like this, but this brings me joy. Let me tell you about it, friend. Let's sit down, let's have tea, let's kiki. Um, like this, cultivate that joy. Choose that rest for yourself. This is another important thing about joy. You need sleep to be joyful. Um, take sleep. If you get PTO, never let it expire. Always use it, find a way. Don't let it escape. People are paying you to rest. Take that payment. Don't let it get away. Um, you will all take a nap. Kids, I know you want to go out and play. Sometimes just take a nap. It's great. You'll be okay. Other kids will still be playing. I promise. Um, that's patience, fruit of the spirit. Um, and I'm going to leave that here. <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter because I'll probably keep tweeting about this for the rest of the day. It's my first name, which is now spelled correctly, the Jarrell. And yeah, I'm really into joy cultivation. Um, and it helps get you through the time of trial. It is a gift. That's another thing that joy is. It's kind of like a sourdough starter. Your friend has started helping you cultivate your own. The point is not just for you to have sourdough bread, but eventually for you to share that sourdough bread with other people so that they can start making their own and they can share it with others. Your joy is meant to be contagious. Your love is meant to be contagious. Your life is meant to be contagious. You are like a very fun, positive version of COVID-19. If you can't spread this gift of joy the way you are right now, find a way to become airborne. Find a way to become transferred through droplets. Find a way through the mask. You can go through the eyes. Like, find a way to spread the love of God. And that is your benediction. That's your sending. And I'm going to stop ranting. Let's pray. Uh, God, we give you thanks that you are a cultivator of joy within us. That you celebrate new and inventive things. You honor old things. You love us. Thank you for the gifts that you give us, for the ways that you walk with us. Help us to love the us we want to hide away so that we can share the gifts you've given with the whole world and make everyone a little more joyful. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>